Today's episode of A Little Juju Podcast is sponsored by Hoodoo Hussy. Hoodoo Hussy Conjure Enterprises provides spiritual care using plant medicine and African-American traditional religious practices. Owner and CEO, Hoodoo Hussy makes all of her offerings herself, and many of them using plants from her urban garden. She sells an array of spiritual products such as conditioned oils, cleansing water, incense, spiritual bath, and floor wash. To learn more, please visit her website at www.hoodoohussy.com and you can use the free code FREESHIPALJ for free shipping on your order over $50. That's hoodoohussy, H-O-O-D-O-O-H-U-S-S-Y.com. And don't forget to go follow Hoodoo Hussy on IG at H-O-O-D-O-O-Hussy. Now, let's get into the show. All you need is a little juju. Welcome, welcome, welcome to A Little Juju Podcast. This is the podcast all about black as spirituality, honoring our ancestors, honoring ourselves, and honoring the spiritual traditions and religions that we come from as people descended from Africa throughout the diaspora. My name is Juju, and I'm the host of this here show. I am a Kanti conjurer, a medium, a hoodoo practitioner, an aborisha all around bad bitch witch sorcerer speeding up niggas karma since the 90 the 90s <laughs> it was like i would have said the 99 and 2000s like that's not right <clears throat> anyway greetings welcome to another episode i'm so glad that you are here if this is your first time hey boo if this is your 55th, 56th time. What number episode is this? Hey, boo. Glad you're here. I'm so excited for this episode today because it is an interview episode, which are typically my personal favorites. But today I'm interviewing a family member, my auntie, my auntie Myrtle. So she has so much gems for us. So really looking forward. And uh, yeah, so sit back, relax. You already know the drill. Let's get into it. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is all you need. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju, a little juju, a little juju. A little juju is the way. It's how I start my day. Camfer no say. And I'll never get play. I'll take your photo to the grave. But that ain't even my thing. I just stay at the crossroads, pray. I just pour a little honey from my face to make a stay. Cause I hate when bay leaves, but I manifest a little with my bay leaves. I'm my ancestors, baby. So I give them everything that they gave me, yeah. So I can't be stopped. Manifested everything gives me props. I'm spiritually rounded while I'm on the top. My spirit's surrounded, so I'll never drop, drop. So it is still Hoodoo Heritage Month for the month of October. So happy Hoodoo Heritage Month. Um, I have been having a good Hoodoo Heritage Month. If you've listened to the last episode, you know that... I have been going through some things with my ancestors, with my spirits. And I think that, you know, this month has been about rebuilding my spiritual practice to look more how I want it to look for myself and for my spirits. So that's been really fruitful. I feel like I'm just kind of in a place of really taking up space and and like 
stepping into my power. Um, you know, sometimes I think that people can see me on social media or maybe just listening to the podcast and have this assumption that, you know, I have things together (laughs) and I do have some things together. Like I've worked to have things together, but there's a lot of things that I do not have together. So I I constantly want to remind you all of that and to not don't pedestal me or really anybody. A lot of healers, a lot of workers, you know, if you're listening to this and you are a healer and people look to you for advices and things, you know, we still have space to be human. We are human. We're all human beings. So We're going to do human things. We're going to get caught up in human shit. We're going to have human experiences. And all of those are also very important on, you know, in conjunction with our spiritual practices and our spiritual selves and our ascension. You know, we're still on earth. So we're going to deal with earthly shit. Um, And so, yeah, I've, I've just been getting more control of the earthly shit, I think. And. And just trying to walk and and own and claim my space and my power and and yeah, moving my confidence. So that's been good. And my confidence as a spiritual practitioner, my confidence as a a black person, as a black woman, as a as all of my identities. So um, yeah, it's been it's been really it's been really really good. If I told me I need to step into I need to step into my chief role, and I'm like. <gasps> Okay, 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 uh, okay, got you, got you. So yeah, I don't really have much to say in the intro. You know, sometimes I like to, oh, I do. We need to be sending our prayers and upliftment to Nigeria at this time as they are going through uh, uprisings in a way that those of us in the U.S. have been experiencing uprisings with the um with hashtag and SARS. I'll put some links in the bio around SARS, but basically it's police violence and brutality and not necessarily against people who are black because Nigeria has the most black people in the the country with like the most black people, I think, in it. But um, there is a discrimination against the youth, against the youth. So there is brutality specifically from police violence impacting young people um so police brutality is global and it looks different depending on where you are but it is still police violence and so we need to make sure that we are educating ourselves how we can be in solidarity and um, we are also uplifting our nigerian fam in our prayers as they are rightfully turning up for their own liberation and freedom and the ending of sars which i actually think that it did end which was the name of that particular force. But I think there was some concern around like, okay, so if SARS ends, there's just going to be another entity that pops up that does the same thing. That's not called that. Um, Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm still learning. I don't, I'm not like the expert on what's going on, but you know, I have been trying to read and keep up um, with some information. So I will just, post some things in my bio in the show notes sorry not my bio in the show notes for the episode so that we can stay abreast on what's happening also I think it's important for me to say too I said I had no announcements and things and now I'm thinking of stuff uh, that I forgot um in Gullah Geechee land Gullah Geechee folks are very very important to all people descended from Africa African Americans especially um, Gullah Geechee Lane is in Florida. I'm sorry, in South Carolina, as well as 
um, Georgia. It's the low country, South Carolina, and Gullah Geechee folks have been able to retain a lot of our ancestral and their ancestral practices from Africa, retain a lot of uh, unique dialects, languages, practices, spiritual traditions, hoodoo, like that is a crucial part of Gullah Geechee culture. All right, I'm coming. <laughs> a crucial part of Gullah Geechee culture and Essentially, they are, the government, specifically in South Carolina right now, I believe, is trying to take away their land because of just some financial tax shit. Um, There's some lands and some families who have had those lands for a long, long, long ass time, hundreds of years, that have been able to keep their land. That's how they've been able to retain their culture. The government's trying to come in and take it um, because of high property taxes and, you know, essentially... From a capitalist standpoint and a governmental standpoint, that land is ripe for them to take and probably build buildings and golf courses and everything like that. Um, my family's kind of been going through that too uh, in South Carolina as well. So, and just the increase of property taxes. So they're behind on a lot of their taxes. It's hard for them to keep their land. They're trying to make it impossible for Gullah Geechee co- folks to keep that land. And it is a sacred land and we are responsible for helping preserve it. So I'm going to put some GoFundMes and some links. And so y'all know what's kind of going on there so that we can step in and help. If you are uh, Gullah Ogichi, please feel free to reach out if you know um, any ways that we can do some more on the ground work or there's people on the ground or there's like donations. Um going around the ways that we can assist, please let me know. Please let us know. And then I will make sure that I share that information out as well on my platforms. Uh, I, I was tweeting about it at one point. Um, but it's, it's serious, y'all. And we all have a responsibility to to keep our traditions sacred and keep our lands. Keep our lands. Um, so I think that is all my updates. I am doing another Hoodoo 101 class. I will be talking about it uh, in a later on a later date just because it's a little bit far out but you can get your tickets now um the class is on november 18th and um, i will of course put a link in the show notes like everything else so that you all can sign up for the class and get your tickets it's going to be great it's another hoodoo 101 course course i know a lot of people missed the first one so we we I got y'all. It was a great turnout the first time. I know it'll be a great turnout the second time. Um, I'm sorry, it's on November 19th. November 19th. I will post that in the show notes, and I hope to see you all there. All you need is a little juju. Little Juju podcast is written, hosted, and crafted by me, Juju. And this process is a labor of love, but it is labor nonetheless, because podcasting ain't free. It takes time, energy, resources, money, so that I can pay people to help me. Finally, I have a little bit more resources to do that, and I'm able to do that because people donate. Um, It is a few ways to donate to the show. All of them are important. I will start with the monetary ways and then we'll get into the non-monetary ways to support this work. So the first monetary way that I'll mention is through Patreon, which is a site that allows you to contribute to the show monthly. So on the first of the month, Patreon automatically takes out whatever you choose to donate, which will range from 
$1 to as many dollars as you want. I have some suggestions on my Patreon. And based on the level that you donate is the level of content or things that you'll receive from me via Patreon, which includes exclusive deals, videos. Sometimes I do readings. Sometimes I do workings for specific patrons. It just depends. So big shout out to my lovely patrons. As always, shout out to Amber, Nizra, Jules, Chance, Madame J. Shout out to Avia Harper, Lakeisha Clanton, Jaja Ma, Keandria, Jalen Rodney Simpson, Ash G, T.T. Walker, Shake, shout out to Philip Michael O'Haver, shout out to Peach, Brandy, shout out to Fantasia Spruill, Claire Davis, shout out to Lindsay Eck, big shout out to Amber Hill, yes, Hill, Candace Martin, Trey Barker, Isaac Simmons, shout out to Tidra. Enigma, Angel Carter, Jean Jacquet. I done made your name Haitian, y'all. Or, or, or Jean Jack, Jackies. Shout out to EJ McLeod, Dejan Mosley. Shout out to at underscore hood goddess. Hey. Shout out to Adriana Pfeiffer. Shout out to Maya Wilkes. Thank you for editing your pledge and remaining a patron. Thank you to Queen Styles, Anigo, Carolina, Alexis Hills, Perry Ello, the Benu. <laughs> Shout out to Nana XOX3. Shout out to Branch Foston, Caitlin. Shout out to Renderly for upping your pledge. Shout out to Rukaya Alsai. Shout out to Sinclair, Kiana Roberts, and oh, we have all of our patrons this week. Thank you so, 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 so much. I appreciate you all for sharing the energy of abundance with me and prosperity with me. I'm sending you that same energy back tenfold. May all of your dreams and desires come to fruition. May you have the resources, whether they be financial or otherwise, to be able to actualize your dreams as you see fit. So sending you all the good, good, yummy blessings. And I appreciate you all so, so, so much. I could not do this work. I I could not do this work without you. I really, 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 really could not. I ain't just saying that shit. Literally could not do this work without my patrons and those of you who donate to me. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm sending all of my good juju and praying over you. I love you. And of course, big shout out to those of you who hit me up on the Cash App for a more non-committal way to donate to the show at dollar sign I-T-S-J-U-J-U-B-A-E or on my PayPal at thejujubae, T-H-E-J-U-J-U-B-A-E at gmail.com. Big shout outs to those of you who have donated in that way. I say a little prayer for you each time. So thank you. And if you are interested in the non-monetary ways to donate to the show, which are just as important, shout me out. Tag ALJ pod, tag Jujube on social media, put people onto the show, tell them what this podcast is and what it's about. 
comment, subscribe so that I pop up when a new episode comes out so you already are hip and you know. Just let people know about the show. You can rate five stars on Apple or whatever platform that you are using and just help me spread the good juju gospel. I appreciate everyone who always tags and tells me they're listening and puts people onto the show. I deeply, deeply appreciate that as well. All that information will be in the show notes. So now let's get back into the show. All you need is a little juju. Okay, so let's get into the interview. I'm so excited to present to y'all my auntie Myrtle, who is 91 years old. My Aunt Myrtle is just everything to me. She is everything to our family. She has always been the cool aunt. She's my cool great aunt, but she's always been a cool aunt, you know, to my mother and my uh, older cousins. And she just really... I don't think on my mother, this is from my mother's side. So these are my people from uh, Virginia. I just don't think we would know much about our family, our history without our Myrtle. Um, Some of us wouldn't have had certain experiences without our Myrtle. She's just, I mean, y'all just got to get into her. She's just a walking textbook of knowledge or rather she's rather she's walking you know oral traditionalist family great just everything i you can tell i just hardly have the words because she just means so much to me i love her love her love her and i'm so excited to share her with y'all so so excited so um just just get in get into my auntie y'all get into my auntie all you need is a little juju Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of A Little Juju Podcast, and you are now watching, hopefully, on JujuTube. And I'm very excited to have my auntie here today, my Aunt Myrtle. This is an interview I've been looking forward to and that I've been thinking about and I've been mentioning to her. So I'm glad that our schedules finally came together because my Aunt Myrtle is busy. So finally, (laughs) our schedules came together and I get to share this interview of a family member of mine with you all. So I hope you enjoy. Hi, Aunt Myrtle. Hi there. How are you, Sam? <laughs> I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. So, our Myrtle, can you tell the people who you are? Who are you? All right. You want, want me to talk about in relation to you? Well, sure. That too. And your name, how old you are? Okay. My name is Myrtle Stanley, and I'm 91 years old as of last May. And uh, I lead a rather full life, although much of it is done from home, because I'm often on the computer, on Zoom with my friends. I belong to a virtual senior center, and I teach a class on Zoom. And I'm just a busy person. I never have idle moments. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm a former school teacher. I taught in the elementary schools of Baltimore for 25 years. I uh, have done social work for the city of Baltimore. Did that for five years. And I uh, also worked for the Archdiocese of Baltimore for 12 Some of the jobs that I held during my lifetime. And I spent a lot of years in school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You sure did. So you said that you were 91. So my Aunt Myrtle is related to me. She is my mother's mother. So my maternal grandmother's sister. 
So that is our relationship. And you are the middle child of three, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Your but mother was the youngest. Yes. And our sister Bernetta, who passed a couple of years ago, was the oldest. Mm-hmm. We had a wonderful childhood. Mm-hmm. And so how I think about you, Aunt Myrtle, is that you were always just kind of like the great aunt that was fun. Like when I came <laughs> over and when I was young, Aunt Myrtle, you would let me have coffee <laughs> in the morning <laughs> and we would stay up late and watch TV. We did, we did. <laughs> and we played I Scrabble. <laughs> mm-hmm. And these were things you couldn't do at home. Right, <laughs> exactly. So when yeah, I-, I was that. Uh, I guess I was the person who was allowing you to do some things that I knew you wanted to do and needed to do and that they would be good for you mm-hmm. that maybe your parents would have thought a little risky. <laughs> <laughs> like having coffee. at night, we were sitting up in the bed eating popcorn and looking at uh, what's the children's channel then? Um, the show I remember was Zoom. We were watching a show called uh, Zoom, but I can't remember the channel that we were mm-hmm. on. But it was whatever Zoom was on. Yep. So, and besides that on Myrtle, I think you also were the, was the person in, in my life that kind of consistently talked about ancestors and you were the one that sort of taught me about storytelling. Like you always just had a story to tell, whether it was about our family or a story you made up or a play, like you had us <laughs> acting in plays. I remember being in a play with you. I was trying to think of it recently, but I remember- Yeah, you were very young. Mm-hmm. It was the National Black Catholic Congress met here yeah. in Baltimore. And I was in charge of collecting a lot of plays and I wrote some. And you were in one of the plays that I wrote, along with your mother mm-hmm. and our sister Bernetta. Yes, I remember that. I remember that. it was something about losing a penny or something about a penny. Yeah, it was about a penny. Yes. It's a story for, of the from the Bible about the woman who lost a coin, mm-hmm. and you yeah. all acted that out in a modern way, and it was really wonderful. Yes, I remember that. So, what is your religious identity? So, what what religion are you? Well, I'm Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. but above all, I'm Christian. Okay. And were you always Catholic? Were you raised Catholic? Oh, no. Oh, I've been through a series. I was raised Baptist. Your grandparents were Baptist. Their parents were Baptist. And I grew up Baptist until I got married. When I got married, my husband was a longtime, lifetime member of an East Baltimore Methodist church. And so I felt that it was better for me to go where he was and his family was to bring our children up rather than try to go back to where I had been or locate a new church. So I went there and became Methodist. And then after we were there for several years, uh, we both became sort of disenchanted with that church. I don't know, it it wasn't exactly what we were looking for. Mm -hmm. And then a new church opened uh, across the street from where I lived. It was a a Lutheran church. We both joined it and we stayed there until things became a little difficult there. Mm-hmm. And I just found it difficult to go to that church because there was a lot of infighting and that wasn't what I thought church was about. Mm-hmm. So my son, Jonathan, uh, went to Catholics, changed over from public to Catholic school because the Catholic schools were on shift and the principal did not want to move him to a morning shift from afternoon, which I wanted to do because I was working. I wanted to see if he got to school and my niece would pick him up and keep him until I got home. He was in the fourth grade. And her children went to that school also. In the meantime, uh, the principal did not want to move him to the morning shift. 
And he said, I got my numbers right. So I said to myself, my child is not a number. I don't know what I'm going to do, but he's not going to go school, go to school here. So a dear friend of mine lived across the street, and she had a son about the age of my son, Jonathan. And he went to St. Anne's school. She said, well, you don't have to worry with that. He went to St. Anne's school. because sister would be glad to have him. She called sister up on a Sunday night, and sister said, bring him to school tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I did. And from then on, he was in the Catholic school. And then he said to us, at that time, the Catholic children went to Mass every day, almost every day. He said, I like Mass. You should come sometimes. So then I started going on Sundays, and I really liked the church. I liked the people. I liked the way they served. And the next thing I knew, his father and I, my husband and I, were joining the guy saying, here, I'm not leaving now. This is the last time I'm making a change like this because no, there's no perfect church. Mm-hmm. And I like so many things here mm-hmm. that I will stay. And I did. And that was when I was around 40 and now I'm 91. So I've been Catholic for quite a few years. That's a long time. And it's interesting. I didn't know that you come from a Baptist family and that was a long lineage of Baptist um, oh, yeah. family members. I had no idea of that. It kind of reminds me of my own story, which I'm, I don't think you know, but having been through just different religions or leaving different churches or being, because I've done that same thing. You know, I started with Catholic and then I started going to Baptist church, actually, which is mm-hmm. interesting to me. I started going to New Psalmist um, and then I started going to different churches um, and then completely having left. So, that's, um, so yeah, I just thought that that was interesting. So uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm curious how the the energy of like ancestors and storytelling where did that come from you know why did you think that that was important to share with the family and share with me well it was important because my mother shared it with me mm-hmm. uh when we were small my mother was a great storyteller and uh, she would before we went to bed at night she would tell us stories she could pop out a story anytime for any occasion and uh, always at bedtime and sometimes we'd say tell us one more story she told us some stories that were family stories she told us some stories that were traditional she told us some stories like uh oh was uncle wiggly and various characters who were known then. Uncle Wiggly, uh, you said? Uncle Wiggly. They were there was a character named Uncle Wiggly. He was a rabbit. And he had a lot of adventures. And they, the stories used to appear in the newspaper. And she knew some other un, under Uncle Wiggly stories that we didn't read about. And she told us about him. Mm-hmm. Uncle Wiggly had quite a few adventures with other animals. It was all animal characters. It sounds like she Rare was, Rabbit or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was like Rare Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Rare Rabbit is, I think, traditionally black. Mm-hmm. And then we had, uh, what was the other stories? Oh, Br'er Rabbit, I guess, was one of the main ones. Mm-hmm. That she also told us about Br'er Rabbit and about the animals and the things that they did. And Aesop's fables. Okay. And so through all of that, uh, we learned a lot about how things were. But we always enjoyed listening to the stories. And so we would beg her for more stories. And she said, you got to go to bed now. This is the last story. <laughs> And uh, that would be my sister Bernetta and my sister Ruth, who is your grandmother, and myself. And we would listen to these stories the last thing before we went to bed. Mm -hmm. There were two things that my mother always did, and that was she told stories and uh, she sang hymns. Hmm. She sang hymns when she was making cakes. She sang hymns when she was scrubbing the floor. She sang hymns when she was washing clothes. By the time I went to school, I think I knew most of the hymns in the Baptist hymnal because Hmm. she sang them and she sang every verse. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. That's so be I'm getting emotional because I'm just I haven't heard these things before, so I didn't know. You probably haven't, and that's that's the way she worked. Mm -hmm. And uh she was a deeply spiritual woman. Mm -hmm. And uh she never worried about anything because she always considered herself in the hands of God. But she brought three lines of tradition from her ancestors to us, and all of them involve pretty much the same storytelling aspect. Mm -hmm. Uh she described the First, uh, first members that she knew of her family as a woman who came from England, whose name was Polly Hearn. And Polly Hearn fell in love with a Native American, and he fell in love with her. And so as unusual as it was, they married and had three daughters. Mm -hmm. But there was a problem at that time because at that time, women didn't own property. Property always belonged to the man. In, the, in her tradition, in the, I mean, in his tradition, in Indian tradition, women could own a property, run everything, and the men didn't bother about it. But in the uh, European tradition, men were in charge, as you know, by ev about everything. And so they had three daughters, and they began to worry about what would happen to these three daughters if they didn't marry, because they had to have a husband to take care of their share of whatever state the parents left behind when they died. And uh, so... They had a difficult time because the European men did not want these women who were American and half English. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't. They didn't want to date them. They didn't want anything to do with them. And the Native Americans really didn't care too much for these women who were half European. Them more or less, like they might always just be old maids. Mm -hmm. And so Polly Hearn and her husband, whose name was Tom, I know nothing else of him because I don't know if they had a last name. But she and Tom decided that they would go down to a nearby plantation and look over some of the slaves and see if they could find some responsible men that they would like to have for sons-in-law. Because both of them realized that being a slave did not stop a person from being a responsible person. It did not stop them from being intelligent. It did not stop them from being caring. And so they went down and they found three men. And each of the men they interviewed, like you're interviewing me today, and uh, they said to them, you know, if you would marry my daughter, we would buy your freedom. Would you like to do that? And can you imagine a slave giving up an opportunity to be free? Wow. So the three men married the three girls. So therefore, that was where the blood from Europe, Native American, and African all came together in their children. And uh, there are a number of layers of that that go on in various times, different ones in the family married in either race, any group. So the, the so Polly Hearn and Tom had children who had children who had your mother? No, it was further down than that. Oh, this it was, was way like, further. Like in the 1700s. Oh, oh. My okay. mother was born in the late 1800s. Oh, I So see. she didn't know them. Okay, she this only, is a story she that she did. That's the, the oral tradition that the family's oh, passed Oh, I see. And my mother's mother's mother died when she was, was seven, when my mother's mother was 17. She had three brothers. And when they took, they took, kind of took over when their mother died trying to help her to plan her life and to get her established. Okay. But they were all mixed. Mm -hmm. Their mother was of the, uh, the 
the races I just talked about. But their father was Caucasian. Mm. And uh, they owned land and had education and lived pretty well. I don't know how that community must have been at that time because I know the people didn't normally mix. They didn't really legally marry. But their father took care of them, gave them property, knew them, and visited them. And my mother said that she remembers when her mother's father used to come to their place, their farm where they lived, but he never talked to them. He was their grandfather. But he knew they were his grandchildren. And he was a white person. He was a white man. Mm -hmm. And he had a white family. Oh, so he would come and visit your mother, but he never talked to them. But he did acknowledge, Mm. he knew that they were his grandchildren. His children. And in fact, he, they had property uh, that he left to my mother's mother, Mm. which eventually went to my mother and her brothers. Oh, wow. So that, that's Um, some of the land in Virginia? That's the land in Virginia where they live, some relatives live now. Right. And it's some land that nobody I don't think they live on it now, but it used to be like a wooded area. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was young, maybe I was about 23, 24 years old, my mother and her brothers sold trees off that land. I mean, the family benefited it, benefited, benefited right. from it throughout my lifetime. Right. And right now, there are places I can go and say, I'm a part owner of this because of what he did. Right. Ooh. That's a wow. That's a story, isn't it? That's a. I mean, it's it's multi layered and complex too. I mean, it's just a lot. It really of, is. It, it's just a lot of things happening at one time. Um, and when you look at people, you don't know what their background is. Right. I just right. happen to know mine because they kept it alive by all tradition. By because tradition. that's what Indians do. It's what Africans do. And I guess these people from Europe did it because records weren't really that good at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something I talk about on the podcast a lot is my, of course, love for storytelling. I tell stories sometimes on this platform as well. But really, I talk about the importance of talking to family members and our elders to be able to gain these stories because they're so yeah, because important. And we don't have written so documents. No, we don't. We don't have documents. Like I don't have documents about any of those things. Right. It's only that they were told over and over again, just like the Bible is oral tradition, especially the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that everybody saw those things, but they were so sure it was their story. And it was so important that they mm-hmm. told it over and over again. And this is the way it was. The parents told it to the children. They told them so they knew it well. And then it came on down to generations. And my mother told us so we knew from whence we had come. Right. And then I get to tell my kids. When you I get to kids. tell your kids when you have them where yeah. the family came from. Yeah. And you know that you are a product of three continents. Mm-hmm. Not many people can really point that out in a way, the same way that I can. Right. And that you will be able to. Right. Um, so I want to switch gears just a little bit. It's related, but mm-hmm. I know that when I was born, I had a naming ceremony. I had an African naming ceremony. Yes, you did. And it was in the house I grew up in in West Baltimore in the basement. I was just looking at pictures of it and you facilitated that ceremony. I did. Oh, I was so happy to have that for you. Can you talk and about so, what you remember about the ceremony? Because I really don't know much about it besides the pictures that were there in my name. All right. Well, I guess they're not. Well, what really happened was we invited all the family, both sides, every side, not just both sides, every side. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were baptized as a Catholic 
mm-hmm. as an infant in the church, involved in the church, you went to your house. And uh, there we had the naming ceremony. I don't know if I have any copies of that now, but everybody had a copy of it at the time. And we talked about what your name meant, and why you were named, where your name had come from, mm-hmm. and uh, what we hope for you in your life and the gifts. And everybody had the opportunity to do a wish a gift for you. So that and so that's why you're so multi-talented <laughs> because everybody put all the gifts on you. Yeah. Uh, your your father's your gra- your father's people, your mother's people, your grandfather, uh, David's family, uh, your aunt. Uh, I remember her name now. The one who's a nurse. Oh, Aunt Zena. No, well, Aunt Zena, but I mean your your mother's your father's sister. My father, that's all. Oh, 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 Papa. I'm saying your father, your grandfather's sister. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, she was there. Her daughter was there. There were a lot of people who were there. And uh, we just, we sang songs. We prayed. Oh, we did a lot of things. We said, we want this baby to have a good life. And I remember I had a blanket that I had. It wasn't exactly made for you, but it was designed for you. It was a white baby's blanket that was used for your christening. And I had some Kenta cloth, and I had a friend of mine who was a saint to, to trim it all around the edges in Kenta cloth. I don't know if anybody knows where that blanket is now, but I wanted you to have that. And I wanted you to be proud of your African ancestry. That was something in our family. My mother always reminded us, I mean, although she told us much, all the people who were in our past, she knew that the one we lit, the life we lived was as African Americans, and she wanted us to be proud of who we were. Mm-hmm. In my home, when I grew up, there were three books that you had to know and you had to read. One was the Holy Bible. Mm-hmm. Second was the Life and Times of Frederick Douglass, mm-hmm. and the third was Up from Slavery by Booker T. Washington. And my mother had acquired these books years and years and years ago. Uh, I think she may have had a chance to hear Frederick Douglass speak. She may have gotten a book at one of his speeches. I don't know. But these books, I mean, they were in the house and they were used until they got ragged. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a fact that, you know, there would be obstacles to face. There would be times when you couldn't do what you wanted to do. But there was always a lot that you could do. Mm-hmm. And what you needed to do was do everything that you could do. Mm-hmm. So my mother was involved in voter registration. She was involved with the Provident Hospital, which no longer exists. They always needed money, and she was always selling tickets or doing something to help to raise money for Providence. And the Afro American newspaper came to our house every week, two times a week. Hmm. Now it comes out once a week, and we could read in there about ourselves because the local papers we had the Sun and the News American, but they very seldom mentioned us except right. when somebody committed a crime, mm-hmm. you know, and they would put in there that you were black, that this person was black, and they did something terrible. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Afro honored the achievements of the black people. So that's how I got to know a lot about my own people. Mm. Now, at that time in the uh, history, in our, in our community, we had what we call Negro History Week. Oh, yeah, before Black History Month. Before Black History Month. So it was one week out of the year when there were a lot of activities in the schools, which not only were predominantly black, they were all black, because Baltimore schools were segregated. When our teachers educated us about people, and I learned about Booker T. Washington, Frederick Douglass, Mary McLeod Bethune, I was so proud of those people as if I knew them. And Mary McLeod Bethune was mentor, although I never knew her in life, because 
she was a woman who was born a slave. And when she got her freedom, she learned how to read. And she said everybody else needed to do it. Mm-hmm. And there's a story of how she started a school in an old garage with broken furniture and torn books to educate her own people. And eventually, she worked with the level where she founded the school, which is now Bethune-Cookman College. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it took a lot of people with a lot of nerve. Uh, Frederick Douglass was marvelous. Born a slave in Maryland. And uh, they had Frederick Douglass Day here just a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, he escaped the slavery, came to Baltimore, where he worked on ships. And uh, he lived in a home with the family because he was his, his master, rented him out to somebody right. and would earn money by letting him do that. Frederick Douglass didn't get paid. His master got paid. But he lived there. And the woman was very concerned about him. And she saw how bright he was. And she started to teach him to read until her husband found out about it. And then she had to stop. But he would go out on the street. And just to show you how people can be so determined to learn, he would say to little boys, little these were Caucasian boys, playing, you know, I bet you don't know how to spell dog. And this old dog is D-O-G. That's how you learn how to spell dog. Mm. I bet you don't know how to spell this. And he also would have pieces of bread or cookies or something to eat in his pocket. And he would reward them for spelling the words for him. And that, I mean, by the time the man was grown, he had what was equivalent to a college education. Right. If you've seen any of his books, people didn't, when he went around uh, speaking about abolition and an ending of slavery, went to England, various places in this country, people that couldn't believe that he was a slave. Right. He was that, that well educated. He ended up, ended up being an ambassador for the United States, I think to Haiti. Haiti. Hmm. He was an ambassador. Wow. He lived in the Washington area and had a fine home. And uh, one of the things that they did that made some people angry was his second wife was no, Caucasian. Was, uh-huh, I know. <laughs> That's something people people bring up. <laughs> yeah, they bring that up. Why do you do that? You know. Uh-huh. But it really was due to the fact that he associated in all circles. Mm-hmm. And he didn't look upon himself as a black man or as an African-American. He looked on himself as a man. And because of his accomplishments, that's how they looked at him. Mm, right. They kind of put aside the ra- the racial aspect was sort of secondary mm. once he reached a certain level of prominence yeah. in the community. Right. Right. Hmm. Okay. Well, aren't you just a walk-in? See, this is why I love talking to you on murder. You're just a walk-in <laughs> bowl of information. Um, yeah, well, I know a lot. I know a lot about Americans and especially African-Americans. So I want to then now kind of transition into um, something right now that that I celebrate is called Hoodoo Heritage Month. And it's now, it's in October. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk a little bit about hoodoo with you and voodoo and see if you were familiar with that term. And if so, if not, that's okay. We can talk about it. But if so, I just want to know kind of what comes to your mind when I say the words hoodoo, if you're familiar with that. All I know is that I associated with West Indians. Oh, you know, people in the West Indies. I didn't know about much about it in this country. All I'm sure oh, in the West is. Indies. Oh, okay. The West Indies. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, the Africans who settled in the West Indies and in oh. Cuba. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, okay. So basically, hoodoo is sort of this something that I think that you probably have engaged in and our family has. We just may not have called it 
hoodoo, but it's the storytelling, mm. it's the caring of oral traditions, you know, from Africa, from our ancestry. It's also the use of herbs and roots um, and prayers to be able to create a reality. So if anyone has ever given you a specific type of herb to take for your stomach or a certain kind of plant that you were supposed to use to help with a variety of different things, whether they be spiritual or medicinal, that's sort of part of the uh, lineage of hoodoo. All right, I wanted to tell you, before we got away from it, my grandmother, my mm -hmm. mother's mother, mm -hmm. was a midwife and a nurse in, of her time wow. in Matthews, Virginia. And she wow. took care of most of the sick people. She was there for the birth of most of the babies. And she had an herb garden. And she wow. knew how to use herbs. And when people were sick, they would sometimes go to the doctor, who was a Caucasian doctor, who's willing to take care of them. But he'd tell them a lot of them, oh, let's go see Mary Liza. That was my grandmother. What was her name? And so they looked to her. Her name was Mary Elizabeth, but they called Mary Liza. Okay. Mary Eliza. Mm -hmm. her, her name was Hearn, because she had that same name from Europe um, before she got married, and then she married Robinson. Wow. Okay. So that is also in the legacy of hoodoo midwives, people who had the herbal gardens, who they would go to, mm -hmm. like you said, to the doctor would go say, go see Merliza. <laughs> she was mm -hmm. the local caretaker, healer. She really was. She was there when most of the babies were born. She was there. Everybody knew wow. about it. They got sick or they'd say, I don't know what's wrong. I got to see Merliza. And they would just soon go to hers to go to the doctor. And she usually could tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure she learned this from her ancestors, not yes. by going to school, but from her ancestors. Right. And, so and a lot of it came from Africa, as well as from the Native Americans. So that's a lot of what my work is centered around, talking about this. And so I'm happy we get to talk that, or I get to at least feel connected to an ancestor of mine who did this work in a different way. Obviously, yeah. it's different now, but I'm like, oh, wow, this isn't something that I'm so far removed from. This is actually something because that she's your at. great great grandmother. Right, right, and I didn't know that. I didn't know that she she did that particular. You probably never really told that. Um, right, and so I think a lot of us, especially young people, were trying to embrace these traditions, embrace you know what people call quote unquote alternative medicines, um, mm -hmm. and we don't always know how to do that because our it's like we feel like our ancestors or elders don't talk about it, but maybe it just wasn't a thing to go on and on and share, or it wasn't, it was just what you did. It wasn't necessarily something that was broadcasted. Right, because now I realize when I was a little girl, if I know what I know now, mm -hmm. I would have talked my grandmother's ears off. I would have right. questioned her all degrees because I probably would know a lot of things that I don't know because right. she never discussed them with me and I never asked her. Right. We went to the, we went to the doctor. Mm -hmm. you know, right. in Baltimore, and uh, yet she knew a lot. Right, right. I think she even told stories. I mean, some of them would seem strange to us. One time there was a man who injured his foot and became infected, and they thought, sure, they were not going to have to cut it off. They healed his foot by putting his foot in a box and burying it in the dirt. Now, I don't know what it was that came out of that dirt, worms, whatever came out. They ate off the infection, and he saved his foot. And where did this, ha who told you this story? This happened in Virginia. My oh. mother told me that her mother knew wow. about it. It may have happened during my mother's lifetime. I don't know. 
Wow. So that is what we would classify as hoodoo. <laughs> Something that is. Oh, I see. Yes. Because that would seem strange. Who today would want to bury their foot in dirt? But it saved his foot. Right. Right. That's powerful. That is that is powerful. Um, and so I want to just talk to you and just get tell you a little bit about what it is that I do and just get your thoughts and feelings on it. Because, mm. you know, I think I've shared a little bit with you that. Um, I don't necessarily identify with being Christian anymore, although I still feel connected to the Catholic church and feel like a lot of what I do now is rooted in ways that I learned how to pray, you know, from mm -hmm. you, from the Oblate Sisters, which is a black <laughs> uh, um, convent here in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Just what I learned, you know, working with and praying to Mary, for example, and, you know, mm -hmm. not just Jesus. So there was always other saints that I knew how to petition or talk to because of... And see, that's the thing that's true about Catholics mm -hmm. that a lot of Protestants are about to question about it. But if you talk about people of other cultures, they know that the people who went before us are still concerned about us yes. because they did what they did to make a way for us. Right. Right, right, exactly. And so I still try to be in communication with them, you know, mm -hmm. the creator as well, or God, but also yeah. like I recognize that my ancestors, our ancestors are still very present in what is going on in our lives. And I want to know oh, what they, they have to say. <laughs> and I want to know their advices. So I've had dreams, you know, about uh, our ancestors. I can hear them sometimes and sometimes I can talk to them. Um, and so people have come to me. I don't do it right now, but there was a time where people were coming to me and getting readings and I would basically be able to see and hear other people's ancestors. And I would say, oh, this person looks like this or this person saying her name is Mary. And they're like, oh, that's my great grandmother. I'm like, okay, well, she said you need to do this, that, and the third. Um, and so I have been just trying to be more open about that with my family. And I wanted to share it with you. I'm going to spread Yeah, because I think your family needs that particular blessing. We need to be able to talk about those things. Mm -hmm. Just like right now. I mean, I talked to my mother and my father, who have been dead for quite a while, mm -hmm. because I know they will never stop loving me. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell them daily how much I love them and how much I thank them all that they did for me. And I know that when I'm in trouble, I know they talk to the Lord about it. I know right. where they are. They were good, good people. And I know that they're resting in what we call heaven. Mm -hmm. I love that. And you know, and we are closer to it too. You're probably closer to it with your Aunt Bernetta, who mm -hmm. lived in your house for a while. Yeah. She cannot go away simply because she died. She is there. She, she is. is there. She is. She definitely is. I talk to Aunt Bernetta. I talk to Aunt Bernetta occasionally mm. when I need advice on relationship stuff. <laughs> oh, she's the one. She's the one. <laughs> she knew. <laughs> she definitely she knew. She really knew. We said, you know, it's amazing. Uh, I look at some pictures of her now. You know, when you're growing up with your sisters, you don't necessarily think that uh, she was seven years older than I am. So I felt like, like when that was nine, she was 16. She was grown. She wasn't, but I thought so. But she got married when she was 15. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, I I looked at her, and then when I looked back at those pictures, she was physically, she was beautiful. Mm -hmm. She really was. And I guess that's what attracted all of them, <laughs> because she got married five times. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I remember at her funeral, your mother said, and she married, and she married, and she married. And married she said, and married. 
Yeah, if she if she felt that she wanted to share her life with somebody, she couldn't just do it with that marriage. So she did legally and and through marriage. She sure did. One thing mm -hmm. about Abernetta, she kept a man. <laughs> she did. When she married her last husband, she was in her 80, early 80s, and mm -hmm. he was in his 60s. Sure was. <laughs> and he called her. What did he call her? Uh, oh, he had a name for her. It was a real sweet name. Anyhow, I'll think of it later on. Mm -hmm. But maybe, maybe. Mm -hmm. And some of the people didn't know her name. They called her Miss Baby. Oh, he always called her Baby. So and so, so, Baby, Baby. He loved her to pieces. He died before she did. Mm -hmm. And I thought she was going to get married again, but she didn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do you um, do you ever still talk to Aunt Bernetta? Yeah. You do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. I talk to people that I know who are gone. I talk to my husband, mm -hmm. Uncle Theodore. I talk to your cousin. Uh, Theodora, mm -hmm. and other people, too. Mm -hmm. The other day, I was talking to uh, one of my sisters-in-law, Nellie. I mean, I talked to them because I know they know the whole truth now. Yes. And I, I contact them because they inspire me. Do you ever feel I, like you can, you feel their answers, or you kind of feel that they're listening, or kind of get Oh, I feel that they do. I mm -hmm. feel that they do. Mm -hmm. I feel like they really listen. I'm sure they're listening sometimes when I'm I'm even unaware of it. Oh yeah, they're probably listening to this conversation. <laughs> now I don't want to think and anybody think that I am out of my mind or something, but there are times I feel that they touch me, like on my shoulder. Mm -hmm. That's why I, somebody's trying to get in touch with me. <laughs> listen, nobody watching this will think you out of your mind because my whole show is about things <laughs> just like this. And yeah, it's real. It is real. It's real. And people don't, you know, that's why they live so much in the here and now, because they don't understand the importance of the past and that between life and death, there's just a thin veil. Mm -hmm. We can't transpire right now, but it's a thin veil. Right. And I would think that while nobody who's passed on would want to come back here to stay, because it's so much better where they are mm -hmm. if they've lived the right life. Mm -hmm. But their interests are here. We are here. Right. What um, advice would you have to young people watching or, you know, just whoever's watching who wants to kind of connect with their family around these kinds of things or if they have experiences and dreams, but they're afraid that, you know, maybe they come from a Christian background or whatever type of Abrahamic religion. So they feel like they can't talk about these things. Would you have any advice for people and how to talk to their family or elders who they might be afraid may not understand? Well, I think so. I think they should ask questions and get mm -hmm. information. Mm -hmm. And then they should also say, you know, if they have feelings about something, express it and not be afraid to. Early Christians were not afraid. The uh, Israeli or, or the uh, have never been afraid of that. It's mm -hmm. only recently that people have gotten to a place where they think that that's ignorant or it doesn't have any place, there's no truth to it. Right. You know, when you start throwing truth away, you may end up with nothing. Mm. Good point. Truth is the truth. Right, right, right. Um, and uh, mm -hmm. it's what keeps us going, really. Right. That's true. That's the truth. And, and, and if you if people get themselves right with that, uh, they will be like I am at 91 years of age. I have no fear. 
If I should go in my room tonight or go in my room five minutes from now and drop dead, I don't want people to say, oh, poor Myrtle. Say, glory, hallelujah, she made it in, you know, mm-hmm. because that's, that's the aim of my life. Mm-hmm. Not to leave here to go to something bad, but when I leave here to go to something even better mm-hmm. that I have been dreaming about and working on and planning for all of my life. Right, right. And life does not end with the grave. It doesn't. It's a new life begins. Really. That's where a new life begins. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we need to really celebrate our ancestors. because, And I think they're in position where they can do us good. For a long time as a Roman Catholic, I wasn't too much into saints. I mean, I knew all about them. Mm-hmm. But, and I admired the lives and the things that they did. But I didn't think that they had too much relation to me. Mm-hmm. After my father died, and... I think you knew him. You know, you don't remember him probably, but you were very little. He might have passed before I was born, but I don't remember. I don't. I'm trying to think. When oh, I remember. You? No, maybe because it was your mother, probably. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I remember one day we were talking, and it was when your mother was little. Yeah. And she said she spelled her name, and she spelled Brooks, mm-hmm. which was my maiden name, my father's name, and he always liked to teach the children. And he was teaching her to spell Brooks, although her name was Young, because I guess he wasn't really thinking at the time. Right. And while she was a Brooks, it wasn't her legal name or her last name. But anyway, um, he, uh, uh, I'm saying he hadn't been dead long. And one of the children, it was Jonathan, was having some kind of a problem. Now, it was so small, I don't know what it was, but it was bothering me to my depth. And I said, Daddy, Will you please talk to Jesus about this? And then I knew the real meaning of the ancestors and prayer to those who've gone before. Mm-hmm. And I have never been afraid of it since. Mm-hmm. Because I did get an answer. Right, right. I know he did talk to Jesus because the problem resolved itself. Mm-hmm. Or it was yeah. resolved. I'll say right. it didn't resolve itself. It was right. resolved. Right, right. That's wonderful, Aunt Myrtle. I've really enjoyed this. Oh, I also just want to ask before we close out, do you just have any advice for us in general? We are just going through a lot right now in the world. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, There's also just been a lot of uprisings in regards to Black lives. I mean, there's just so many different things that are going on and you've witnessed you know, you've witnessed different moments of upheaval and kind of mm-hmm. chaos within your life, obviously, since you've been alive for 91 years. So as somebody who has seen those kinds of things, what sort of advice or just kind of information do you would you want people to know that you can share with us to uplift us at this time? All right. There's a verse in scripture, this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. The end and the pandemic, the racial uprisings, any of the stuff that's going on, it's not going to last. Mm-hmm. It's here for a reason. All of them came about because of something that people did. And God has given people the chance to figure out how to handle it. Because just like with a baby learning to walk, if you keep carrying it around, it will never walk. You have to let the baby walk, let the baby fall, learn how to get up, and then start again. And soon one day isn't falling so much. And uh, I, that's that's my philosophy about life. And I feel that what we need to do is just do the best we can wherever we are. Uh, try not to live with a lot of regrets. Try not to let 
feelings of anger control us. Mm. I I had that. You sent me a video. I did. did Somebody sent me a video of you on Charles Street. Oh, yes. I did send you that. Yes. I I play that almost daily. Because I'm so happy about it. I know you're not your grandma. Your mother's mother's. It was your mother's mother. Yeah, your mother's mother's mother. A great grandmother. Your great grandmother. Your mother. Was a, yeah, my mother was a woman who wanted to see things be resolved peacefully, and that everybody should be treated like a person with dignity. That's why when we were growing up, the only hospital we ever went to was Providence, because it was run by black people. Mm-hmm. The only doctors we ever went to were black, because my mother had faith in black people mm-hmm. that they could take care of themselves that we had abilities. And while when other people tried to prevent us from making progress, we're going to make it anyhow. With almost nothing, we started colleges, universities, medical schools, all kinds of fists, uh, Harvard University, with some help from some Indian money or something. But nevertheless, if black people hadn't stuck with it, it wouldn't have been. And she always believed that one day it was going to be resolved and that one day things would be fair. Uh, we had a lot of hope during the civil rights movement in the 50s, but it seems like we've gone backwards in some ways. And uh, there are groups that are coming up with such hatred, such hatred against people who are just black, being black. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to take something from them or that they're going to lose something if we have the same opportunity that they have. We're not allowed to take anything from any of it, anybody. And I said one time, I said, I know why they're afraid. If you put your foot on somebody's neck and they get up anyhow, that's a person to be afraid of. Uh huh. And I think that's what it's really about because mm-hmm. we should never, we should never be filling the positions we fill. No one who is of African descent should have ever been president of the United States. Uh, these schools, these jobs, mm-hmm. all these things that are going on. When somebody's trying to push you down and you can push up through that, you got to be strong. I'm proud of being black. Oh, I'm so proud of being black. Wouldn't want to be anything else, you know. Nope. <laughs> Even though other people have many, many advantages, they don't have the one advantage that I have, and that is I come from a strong line of people mm-hmm. who will handle the circumstances, even if it's difficult. Yes, yes. And so we will. We will. Cause we we will. We will come through. We don't need to be afraid. Mm-hmm. We need to try to do right. We have a right to, to uh, protest if we want, to march and to sing. The law of the United States says that we can, and we don't need to back down. A few of us are going to be hurt pretty badly. Mm-hmm. Some people will even die. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's how it is. If we're doing, I feel that for all the people who've died in the struggle, Martin Luther King and all the rest of them, they are marching around heaven, singing hallelujah, just waiting for us to come on up. Mm-hmm. And I just believe that in all of my heart. I don't think they're ever sorry for what they did. Uh, I think about women like uh, Harriet Tubman. Mm-hmm. That woman was a whirlwind. I went to her grave in uh, Canada, and I went to her home there that she had. And it just brought tears to my eyes to think how this woman was beaten so severely that she had seizures and fits, and yet she could lead hundreds of people out of slavery into freedom all the way 
from Baltimore, uh, from Maryland, and even further south, all the way from Maryland, all the way up to Canada, and help them establish a new life. Hmm. And they didn't have horses, and they didn't have wagons. Sometimes they were given rides, hmm. but a lot of it was done on foot, wow. with with horses and dogs coming behind them. Right, right. So we come from that legacy. You really do, so I feel strong. I don't think there's anything that's going to carry me down. Mm-hmm. And I feel that one of my jobs right now is to speak up when I need to speak up. I belong to a multicultural, multiracial, virtual senior senior center. And these some of those people, I don't know where they've been for the last hundred years. I have to keep telling them what we have come through. And I think they're frightened. I guess if I had mistreated people, or my ancestors had mistreated them. I would feel that if they ever got on top, they'd treat me like a dog. That's not the nature of the African American. We're not out to hurt anybody. We just want the same thing that everybody else had. You have ancestors who fought in the Civil War, in the Spanish-American War, in World War II, World War One. My father was a veteran of World War One. My husband was a veteran of World War II. Uh, I mean, we've been fighting. We've been here. Isn't it our country? Don't we have the right to whatever the Constitution says, people? We know it wasn't meant when it was written that we would ever have anything. Right. It was always believed that we'd be three-fifths of a person. And the only use we would have is that our master could vote, counting us as, as two-thirds of people. So that how more more people they had, the more votes they could cast, which was really horrible. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's over now, and nobody's ever going back to it. And I think people are so strong today that if they have if they speak out and they're isolated, alienated, like you sang in that song, you know, jailhouse going to turn you back. Mm-hmm. You got to believe that in your heart mm-hmm. that you are doing what God wants you to do. And when you get a chance to enlighten somebody about what African Americans have done or been through, you'll do it. Because they didn't have, they didn't have Negro History Week like I had when I was a child. And they always thought we were just good for scrubbing floors and cooking food and taking care of babies. Mm-hmm. And it shows you how ridiculous people have been. Right, right, right. You're right, Almerda. We come from a legacy of strong people who have accomplished a lot with very little. So even with in very this little. moment... We have a lot more than what our ancestors had. So I, I believe mm-hmm. the same thing, that we are going to persevere and we are going to be victorious. I mean, I think that's yeah. what we are in, in so many ways. So I appreciate you so much, Aunt Myrtle. This There were so many moments I felt like breaking out into tears because of what you're talking about. I mean, it's so... If this this is the work that I live for, you know, this is yeah, I know you do. This is it's this is so important to me. And I know that our interview today will bring some light and some love and some inspiration to a lot of people. So I'm just so excited to share this. And I'm just so excited that you are my auntie. I'm so blessed <laughs> to come from such a wonderful I'm just blessed to have you. And I just hope that someday maybe uh, we can sit down face to face with some group somewhere yes. and talk and give people the chance to ask questions I would express love that. or tell their stories. Yes. Because people will have to tell their story before they're going to really identify with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people probably know more than they've ever spoken of. Yes, they do. They do. 
They do. It's a lot in the story. And we have a lot as people. We got a lot of stories to tell. So thank you so much, Aunt Myrtle. I'm well, thank you for giving me the privilege of speaking. Of course. And I'm going to update you with everything and the feedback and whatever messages people have for you, because I know people are going to have some messages for you. <laughs> um, so thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sam. And if you can send me a copy of, of the course. interview, I'd appreciate it. I definitely I, This has been my pleasure. I remember when you were born. When you were born, I was in Louisiana at a National Black Catholic Congress. Mm -hmm. And your mother called me up to tell me that the baby is here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and when they gave me, I had an early picture of you. And I don't know what happened to it. I don't know whether I gave it to your mother or what I did with it. Mm -hmm. But there was a picture of you, and you were newborn, and your eyes were open wide, like you were looking around to see what you could see. And Jonathan used to look at your mother when she was a baby. Mm -hmm. He was seven when she was born. He said, if she keeps looking around like that and listening, she's going to learn a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so that's our family. We are always anxious to learn. I said mm -hmm. for myself, if the day comes that I'm not learning anything new, I will be dead. Mm. Because as long as there's something that I don't know, I'm going to be curious about it. Right. And I also like to share the things that I know because I know a lot of people don't know some things that I know. And we love you for that. That's why we love our Myrtle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we used to come. We used to be buddies. Remember, I remember one time I took. No, I think it was your mother. I took your mother to the beach. Oh yeah, my um, mother tells me that story though about when you took her to the beach. She still talks about that and how important that was. Because you know, yeah. Grandma Ruth gonna take her to the beach. So. Uh, <laughs> she, said, she said, "I said, you know, Grandma Ruth wasn't gonna take her to no, the no." Beach. So she tells me that story too. Like, yep, our Myrtle's the one that would take me to the beach when I wanted to go to the water. <laughs> yeah, that. I did certain things in the family that I was a little bit different. I remember, you remember, uh, this is your cousin Dimps, right? Mm-hmm. When he was little, I used to come. I used to come to us all the time because we were walking distance from us, and the family was on Woodburn Avenue now. Mm -hmm. And I used to walk up to Woodburn Avenue, and Dimps. When I got there, Dimps was waiting for me to play with them. And I would sit on the floor and play games with him and talk to him and tell him stories, just like Mama did. And then when one day Bernetta, uh, Bernetta went over, and he go and play with me. So Bernetta said, "I don't know if I can get down on the floor." He said, "Aunt Merle gets down on the floor." <laughs> so why can't so you? Floor, oh, I can't. What are you trying to talk about? So she got down on the floor too. I and no matter wherever I go. I always choose to spend some time with the little people mm -hmm. because somehow though that we pass our family heritage on to them, even just by being around. Them. Yes. Yes. The children and the elders. I say that all the time. It's so important to connect with the children and connect with the elders. Right. We do. Otherwise we're going to be missing a lot. Yes. That's where so many of the lessons are. Mm -hmm. And I think as families now, our children have gotten so much into, uh, technology that they don't even relate to other even other children as much mm. as we mm -hmm. other children when we were children other children were our life the greatest thing was go outside and play dodgeball and play jacks and hopscotch you know who does those things today mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right they've got some kind of device in their hand and even the babies want one to play with the babies know how to do it some they, they do know more than me they do. <laughs> they've had it always. Right, 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 right. 
Well, I've enjoyed today. Me too. This and if there's, you know, we need to get together again. Maybe one day after all this confusion is over, we'll go out for lunch or something together. Okay. Because yeah. I like spending time with you. Yes, we definitely will. Thank you so much, Aunt Myrtle. Thank you, dear. It's been a pleasure. All you need is a little juju. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of A Little Juju Podcast. If you would like to reach out to me, feel free to hit me on my website, www.itsjujubae.com, where you can book a Reiki session or reach out to me about any bookings, media content, any business stuff. Hit me up there. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at itsjujubae, as well as at A Little Juju Podcast, all spelled out just how it sounds on Instagram and don't forget to sign up to my newsletter which is also on my website so you can stay up to date with what I got going on every month I appreciate y'all love y'all thank you for tuning in to another episode and remember all you need is a little juju happy hoodoo heritage month later so I give them everything that they gave me yeah so I can't be stopped manifested everything give me props I'm spiritually rounded while I'm on the top my spirit's surrounded so I'll never drop drop